Osiris. tuned in to episode number 63 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is generally speaking the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listeners to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. These are bands that we think that anybody who listens to Fish will enjoy. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. The problem with Fish fans is they tend to get a bit myopic. They only listen to their favorite band, fail to see the forest for the trees, and are denying themselves excellent life experiences. Absolutely. Speaking of denying yourself excellent life experiences, speaking of forests and trees, why didn't any of you go and see Yola Tango open up for Ghosts of the Forest? What is wrong with you? Well, here's the thing. I think we're kind of preaching to the choir because people who would have listened to the, <laughs> the people listened to this podcast and who happened to be in Los Angeles absolutely did go to Yola Tango. And this fact, is true. Yeah. This is true. I should not berate our fans and listeners for this. You guys are all probably uh, still mind blown from the 15-minute noise jam that concluded the Yola Tango set. But the rest of you guys out there, come on, man. Um, but we are here to help you all, uh, to guide you. Uh, towards more and more mind-blowing music beyond the world of fish. And tonight, we have a really fantastic episode for you guys. We are deep diving in a conversation with one of our favorite guitarists uh, who just released a fantastic record. It's Chris Forsyth uh, from uh, Philadelphia, who just put out All-Time Present about two weeks ago and in just five days has his record release show that uh, is sure to be fantastic in New York. I am absolutely hoping to get out to that show. It's going to be some fantastic psychedelic guitar work and solos. But I've, uh, I've been a fan of Chris's for a while and I really enjoyed this conversation. He's uh, yeah, very cordial, very intelligent. He knows big music fan really knew a heck of a lot about music so and all sorts of things about his uh his influences his style his guitars and you know he really was willing to go pretty deep with us into his process 
Yeah, we um, talked a lot with him. It's a really great conversation. Uh, if you guys have listened to a few of our episodes like this over the last six months, I, I think you'll enjoy it. If you have listened to any of Chris's music uh, over the last couple of years, especially All Time Present or his um, uh, second set jam with uh, Garcia Peoples from their record release show last month, um, I think you're going to definitely dig this. We've got some music that is played in here from Chris, uh, as well as some of his influences. It's just a really great overall episode. And like Dave said, um, I, I, well, I was past, uh, dreaming in the non-dream by Dave back in summer, 2017. That was my introduction. And then all of his shows on NYC taper that I just have absolutely been listening to. And, uh, if they were a cassette tape, they would be one of those Maxwell's, uh, that just kind of you know that stops running because you listen to it so many times and um with the tabs popped of course the tabs popped of course and definitely um, popped really just fantastic stuff here and really good conversation it's uh we're having these really cool experiences we're being able to interview artists that we really admire that we really like and respect we love their music and they all turn out to be really awesome dudes and that's a that's a great thing so we're hoping to, to have more of these in the future Absolutely. If you are listening to this podcast and are a big fan of Fish Jams, then certainly Chris Forsyth is somebody who you should be paying attention to. And I think that this conversation will bear that out. So without further ado, let's get to the Beyond the Pond discussion with Chris Forsyth. And that's good that you're giving it the uh, the driving test. That's definitely a, a test that I give uh, to music and to my own stuff too. It's like, how's it sound in the car? It's it's a driving record. <laughs> I feel like it like it feels like I, I should be taking a road trip to it. Yeah, this cool. record to me, it's more of like a driving through the desert with like sunglasses on record. Whereas the last one, Dreaming the Non-Dream, especially the title track, that was like a speeding, you get like speeding tickets record. Yeah, I told, I told a few people like I would not be responsible for any speeding tickets that people got while they were <laughs> listening to that song. Um, tell us a little bit, I guess we can start with All Time Present. Um, tell us just kind of a little bit about uh, like the conception of the album, the recording, and kind of like how it all came together at this point. Sure. Um well, it's funny to kind of go back and reflect on it because, you know, like anything, it's um, there's all these things happening and you're trying to work towards making a record and you have this idea of how it's going to be. And then um, when you get to it, it totally becomes something else, um, which was, uh, you know, it, I mean, it was a great experience making the record. Um, 
Um, the band has been very much in flux for a while now, like uh, a year or two, which okay. is why this record was credited uh, just to my name um, as opposed hmm. to the Solar Motel band. Because, uh, right. you know, for a variety of reasons, like just people's schedules, you know, uh, people's creative lives, various things like it's become harder and harder to, uh, uh, keep a set group of people together. But I kind of started to, uh, embrace that because, uh, for me, it became exciting to play with different people all the time. And, um, okay. you know, Peter Curl and the bass player has been the, the most consistent member. I mean, he and I have been playing together for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years or something like that. Um, but, uh, but he's also got sun watchers, which is, um, you know, keep awesome, awesome and keeping him super busy. And he writes for that <laughs> band and, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we did a tour in April together where, because I've played with each of those guys quite a bit. Um, and, and to the extent that when we did this tour in April, like, you know, they played and then I played with them as my backing band, basically. Um, and, uh, but anyway, he's, he's been super busy with that. And um, the drum chair has been sort of revolving. But we, you know, I was, I've just been, you know, as usual, sort of gathering material. And uh, the main thing was decided to record this album in a different place where we could kind of go. It's kind of like a retreat. So it's this studio that's out in the immediate suburbs of Philadelphia, um, which is actually like uh, where it is. It's a very, very leafy area with all these big old rambling homes. And the studio is in like the carriage house of basically this mansion. And, um, you know, the carriage house mm. is like the size, size of a normal house. Um, and the owner of the studio's parents live in the mansion. And uh, the owner of the studio lives in the big house across the street where the bands can also stay. And, um, and then the engineer lives in the carriage house of that house. <laughs> so it's like this weird little kind of uh, compound. And, um, yeah. but we were able to go out there and basically stay there for, you know, three whole days where there's nothing else to do, but play music. And I've recorded all the other stuff I've done in the past 10 years or so at the same studio in Philly, which is great. Um, studio called uh, uniform recording run by uh, engineer and producer, Jeff Ziegler, who's also you know, uh, worked really closely with me and all this stuff. Um, but I brought Jeff out to that studio, but we were all basically like, we went away, at, uh, you know, for a few days and, uh, did nothing but play. And I think that, um, that really, you know, had a lot to do with, uh, I don't know, just a very musical experience. There were much fewer distractions. It wasn't like the session ended and then, you know, so-and-so went to go stay here and so-and-so right. went to go stay there. And, you know, so-and-so had to go take their kid to school and, and then we had to figure out how we were going to get together in the morning. And it wasn't like that at all. It was more like, Oh, Hey, there, here's a song that should have like a really, uh, you know, a tequila it out ditch trilogy vibe. Um, at 3 a.m. Hey, let's actually do that. Uh, and then, you know, wake up in the morning and listen to the take and be like, okay, so we figured it out, but we need to redo it. But at least we had the opportunity to you know, figure it out um, at that point. So it's like a dream. Was this, in, um, I guess, would this be considered like mainline Philly? 
It's not mainline Philly. It's more like immediately north of Philly, but it's very much that vibe, though. It's like like the the northern and um, western suburbs of Philadelphia are like these kind of old, you know, old old money big houses, kind of like you know immediate suburbs, uh, sort of like uh, you know trading places, you know, where the where like the the, the the rich guys in trading places lived or something like that. But, um, is that near like Ardmore or is that, you know, like Ardmore would be mainline. This is Wincote, is which up. is up near like okay. Abington and Glenside and Keswick up there. Oh, like, uh, like Keswick. Theater. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's like super okay. close to there. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Which is, right. which Actually, is like maybe, I don't know, 12 miles from my house, but you know, it takes like an hour to get there because there's 400, stop signs and 78 traffic lights between here and there really gives you the feel like you're making a journey to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like going away. Well, it's interesting because the record sounds like something that was recorded in that type of environment. Um, I mean, I think about um, the way that uh, the opening track uh, tomorrow might as well be today just kind of hugs you and like brings you in. And it just feels like this really warm kind of remote vibe to me whenever I hear it. I remember the first time I heard that I was looking up the uh, show on NYC taper. It's uh, from July 28th last year at union pool. Um, Mm -hmm. For the longest time, it was labeled as untitled number three, I think on the tracks. And now they've been updated since the record came out. But I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that song when it first, when I first heard it, just like, loving it it's really bright it sounds like something that i'd want to hear when i'm in like a leafy place with like really nothing to do but play or listen to music and that just kind of like brings you into the record in such a thematic way that um i just i I, it's really it's really um captivating cool yeah i kind of putting it first kind of felt like uh it's like an overture or something you know like this sort of fanfare to like you know welcome to the record Mm mm-hmm yeah, before you jump into Mystic Mountain and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like really dive deep in that. With the song, um, was it Dream Song? Out of all the songs in the record, that one to me feels the most like I envision you're up on like a mountain with wind, almost sort of like a slash and like Guns N' Roses type video. <laughs> that almost uh-huh. has like... Yeah, old church behind us, old exactly. chapel. I mean, to me, that riff almost kind of sounds like more like a recent, like Alex Lyson, almost like what Rush was doing in the 90s. Like, I don't know how you feel about prog rock, but that song, and then it's got the awesome false ending, which still gets me every time. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I, that song I actually wrote in like 1994, and I've had it oh, sort wow. of like kicking around for all these years and tried it with this group, tried it with that group. Um, have tried it on previous Solar Motel Band records, and it just sort of, you know, didn't quite, I don't know, I always felt like, it, you know, the versions could be better. Um, but, yeah, finally I felt like we, you know, dialed it in on this one. Um, That's wild how that happens when you're, like, just kicking around an idea for 20, 25 years and suddenly it clicks. Yeah, I mean, there's things on this record which were, uh, you know, mega spontaneous and then things that were uh kicking around for 25 years just being like uh oh, there'll be a, we'll find a place for that that that's a good one like it, it's still nagging me you know like that riff i'm like that we'll we'll find a place for that one <laughs> <laughs> 
songs i mean that's something i've always been interested in listening to music i mean do they start with a riff and then you just see where that takes you or kind of what is your overall process from like a song structure standpoint well it's always different and uh you know sometimes i mean like dream song which is essentially the same song as the man who knows too much that's the song before it on the record right different key but it's like the same when I first wrote the song back in the nineties, it was in that kind of mode, kind of like an acoustic kind of, uh, you know, spaced out kind of acoustic mode. Um, and then, um, but, and I thought, you know, I, I've always liked, uh, you know, records that have, you know, different versions of a song, like a lot of Neil Young records have like an acoustic version and a electric version of a song. Right. Um, or just song, you know, uh, artists that kind of reference their own songs. So I thought it would be cool to have these two different flavors, but, um, but, you know, there's other things that, you know, like techno top was literally just like the, the, if you would, if you wrote down that, you know, if you wrote that song on a piece of paper, like a score or something, it would just be like D this is the groove <laughs> only play rhythmically like just f- like go for the rhythm at all times and then you know here's a couple possible chord changes that's literally how it was we just discussed it with the band um and then um you know and then basically everybody just sort of you know improvises and sort of tries to create something within that framework um but um but then also like mystic mountain is a song that was kicking around not i mean not like dream song but like maybe for like three or four years then we tried it on the last record i tried it with like multiple drummers um it it didn't quite it never quite stuck and that was one where i like wrote the riff and that and and was like oh that's a really great riff i i or I, I like this i like the the musical changes in this but i don't know if they're compelling enough to stand purely on their own like this feels like it might need a vocal or some other kind of element so that's you know where that sure, sure. where that comes from it's like I'm, I'm always and when it comes to the vocals or whatever i'm always just like well what does the song need some of them need it some of them don't and um but yeah when there's a there's a like a rehearsal recording of mystic mountain which is maybe i don't know a couple of weeks or a month before the sessions where we were rehearsing it and uh like we finally like i felt like we finally cracked the code like we actually got through the whole song and it made sense and on the recording at the end of it you can hear peter say well force that you finally figured it out <laughs> like you know <laughs> after, after like after you know numerous like you know endless rehearsals of oh wait let's try this one no no let's try this no i i i know it's not working but i think we can make it work you know so that moment where like everyone just knows it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. We got it. Yep. <laughs> and I, and I have, I have to say like, I have to give like a ton of credit to Ryan Jewell too on, 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 on the record and, and on that song in particular, actually uh, um, he's just uh, such a great drummer and such a musical drummer and, um, yeah. and uh, just a, you know, musical person. Um, he was paying attention during the sessions, maybe more than I was at times, you know, like standing up in front of the mixing desk, like really listening to takes <laughs> saying, oh, this is better. That's better. While I was, you know, 
back there sipping a seltzer or something. But um, and he's always playing like on his Instagram. It's like every day it's a new gig, a new teaching thing, a new studio. Like he's extremely good. It's just really impressive work ethic. He's yeah, and he's just a he's really just such a such a incredibly musical person. I mean, he's also a lot of people don't know this, but he's like a better guitar player than like 98% of the guitar players that I know. No <laughs> like way. He, oh yeah. He can, he's, he plays all kinds of instruments, uh, oh, wow. all kinds of music. And, um, yeah, it's just a, so he, he can like really kind of, uh, you can, you know, he, he can really relate and, 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 and go to places, um, I think with other musicians, probably way more than I can. You know, he's just like, he's a person who's like, he's an artist who's like uh, uh, able to just like meld with other musicians, regardless of the, you know, idiom or genre or whatever. I was able to catch uh, the last night of the Riley Walker residency at Union Pool during some of the more, I mean, I think it was like a 45 minute jam. I just built up to like a wall of noise with David Grubbs and um, who was like C Spencer. Yay. Yeah. And I, I saw that. Just, I saw that that's on NYC taper, but I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet. And just at one point at like the peak of the set, like Ryan actually put bells in his mouth and like swung them back and forth. It wasn't for show. Oh no. Like you could actually, he was doing it in rhythm to his playing. adding like an extra element to have this, like mouth percussion i'm just thinking holy shit yeah he also does have like uh an element of joy in what he's doing i think which is um important you know which is part of that thing of like the playfulness of like yeah i'm gonna put some shit in my mouth and yeah that makes noise too like you know that's gonna be part of it well i was gonna say like the the first time i ever watched him play drums i've never seen him live but um i was uh, on youtube on like a Saturday night, just like going through different live performances. And I came across, um, there's like an official recording of you playing, uh, dreaming in the non-dream. It's like a 20 minute version. Oh yeah. The like world cafe page. thing. Yes. Yes. And I was just like totally captivated by him. And my first thought was, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone just purely happier to be playing live music right now. And like, I couldn't take my eyes off of what he was doing. I've got to imagine like playing with him in the studio. It's, it's very much like that. Like he just seems to eat and breathe music and just love everything about it. Yeah. And at the same time, I think at, at that show, actually, it's probably visible on the video perhaps, but like um, my wife, Maria said that she came into the show or he, or, or I mean, she was already there. Maybe he saw her, but like, yeah, he's like, grooving away, smiling, smiling, smiling. And he saw her and was like, what's up? You know, like from the stage <laughs> in the midst of all this, it's also like, Whoa, Hey, there's my friend, right. you know, acknowledgement, still playing, still playing. And then like, it's right back to it. That's awesome. Yeah. But that was, a, that was a crazy take of that song actually, because, um, you know, it was like, a they do this thing at WXPN in Philadelphia, the radio station, uh, which hosts, is like the mothership of, you know, world cafe live. And, um, when they, they do these tapings, uh, live tapings free at noon where they're free concerts and they broadcast them live. But consequently, you know, when you're, uh, the, the station is like, okay, we need to know what songs you're playing. How long are they? Uh, what are they called? Cause you know, at this point we're going to take a station break and say, you know, do a station ID and, 
this and that. And sometimes, you know, with my songs, I'm like, uh, I don't know how long that one's going to be. <laughs> but um, but we like, you know, to talk to them beforehand, like, OK, there's going to be you know two songs, then a break and then two songs, then a break and then another song at the end. And uh, I think it was maybe on the third song, I I broke a string on my guitar and uh, carried on through the song. I was like, OK, it's whatever. I had a yeah, I, have, I was like, I got another guitar. So I, you know, picked up the next the other guitar to play the fourth song on the next song, which was dreaming in the non dream. I pick up the other guitar and I'm still thinking like, okay, so this song, I think we told them it was going to be like 10 or 12 minutes and then there's going to be a break and then there's going to be another song. And, um, and I like two minutes into the song, I broke a string on that guitar, which is not like pretty uncommon occurrence, but I'm playing and like, and I'm thinking to myself, Hmm, don't have another guitar. Like there's, (laughs) we don't have time to change a string. Uh, well, okay. I guess this one's going to be 20 minutes long. I kind of looked at Ryan too. And I think he kind of, you know, could tell. And, um, and it actually became like a super fun, super fun take. And, you know, uh, but you know, live, live radio folks, you know, (laughs) no dead air. Yeah. (laughs) Um, actually it was, uh, I had some friends over for, a dinner party last Friday night and I put on Dreaming in a Non-Dream and right in the middle of that song like, two of my friends looked over and they just said what the hell is this? I said this is Chris Forsyth but that that song in particular gets a lot of I like like putting it on with groups that aren't that familiar with your work because it always it gets it gets heads turning that song cool just the level yeah, of thanks. Uh, like forward propulsion what is are you on that song in the studio? What's the guitar effect? Is that like a Mutron that you're using? Well, uh, it's not a Mutron, but it's the same. It's an envelope filter. Okay. It's this, uh, you know, also, AKA Ottawa, same thing. Right. Um, but it's it's not a Mutron, but it is like an old. It's an old MXR envelope filter, uh, which is also probably from the same era. It's late '70s or mid '70s or something like that. It's an old old pedal that i i bought on um, craigslist from somebody that had been sitting in you know uncle johnny's closet for 30 years or something
you about is um, often when I try to describe your music to other people, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I always think it sounds a lot like television. If television cut their teeth at the film East as opposed to uh, like CBGB, I know mm-hmm. there was a time when you were taking um, like lessons from Richard Lloyd. I mean, if you just, yeah, I'd just be curious to know a bit more about that because I know he had a bit of a reputation for uh, like being a taskmaster as regards to students. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, he actually did cut his teeth at the Fillmore East, at, at least as a uh, as a oh, that's you know, as, right. as a but listener. Like, like he Hendrix, grew up. He, right. he, went, he went and saw Hendrix there, right? I mean, he saw everybody there. We talked about this when I studied with him. I I, I studied with him for about year and a half in the late nineties. I think it was like 98, 99, something like that. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, we talked about that and it, it definitely, it was a huge, uh, influence on him. Um, you know, he grew up in the village and he saw, I mean, he saw everybody there, you know, I mean, Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and the dead and Allman brothers and, you know, and on and on and on the who, like, I mean, he saw all those, you know, classic rock, uh, innovators um you know at at the at you know ground zero like at the place where it was happening um uh but yeah i mean he i mean studying with him you know completely i mean he he taught me how music works so uh, before that i mean i'd been playing for like 10 years before that but i was self-taught and um or you know i taught myself or learned from magazines or learned from friends but without any kind of methodology or any kind of coherence really and so i kind of knew like oh if i did this with my fingers that worked and if i did this with my fingers that worked but i had no idea how they were Mm -hmm. connected or why they were connected or you know anything about music couldn't read music uh couldn't didn't understand any of it um and so he sort of uh you know broke me down to like the total fundamentals and um you know, the way that he plays or the way that he, he, uh, taught me to think about music is still the way that I think about it. And so, yeah, I mean, anytime anybody says, Oh, it sounds like television. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, the (laughs) guy taught me how to play the guitar. So, uh, you know, and, and they were always, you know, an absolute favorite band of mine when I, you know, from the time I was a teenager, I probably, uh, I probably discovered television through REM probably in like the late eighties or yeah, probably like the late eighties or 1990 or something like that, because, you know, they would cover their songs and talk about them and stuff. So I oh, check that out. And then, Oh yeah, I can see Where that. Um, and I'm um, just trying to think, cause I'm a big REM fan. Would they cover, did they cover some Sino evil? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'm, I'm certain that's how I discovered television. Uh, just like that's how I discovered the velvet underground through, uh, through REM. But yeah, at one point, you know, in the, in the late nineties, I realized I was, uh, being honest with myself at one point and being like, Hmm, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, I was at a rehearsal room in the East village and, uh, um, Richard just had like a, you know, a poster up with like, you know, the bottom of the, his phone number and a bunch of tabs on the bottom. Like you know? Dan Smith will and, teach you how to play guitar. Except yes, exactly. <laughs> it said, it said, it said Richard Lloyd, uh, learned the, you know, cosmic principles and, you know, skeleton key of music or something like that. And I was like, Oh, I think that's what I need. So, um, that's so yeah, quite I called an amazing opportunity. Yeah. 
it's funny you uh you know being introduced to velvet underground and uh television through uh rem uh for me those two bands were directly introduced to me through fish it was the 98 fish halloween show where they played loaded and i think Mm -hmm. probably 75 percent of the fish fan base discovered the velvet underground that night (laughs) it's a uh it's a something that rem and fish definitely have in common turning on tons of people to the velvet underground right (laughs) it was uh they'd played like three halloween shows or three cover album shows and then they come out and they played loaded and a lot of the fan base goes, huh? But um, you know, that's become it's become a favorite album for a lot of people within the fan base, and the song "Rock and Roll" has become a huge uh, jamming song for them. But I've totally seen that. Yeah, have you? Mm-hmm. Um, but in two thousand nine, Fish played a Halloween show, and they basically put up on a website like 50 album covers that were possible albums that they were going to cover that year. And then they killed one or two off each day. Um, and you whittled it down until they played exile on main street. But Marquee moon was one of those album covers. And I look, I remember looking Ooh. at it and being like, never heard this, but I, I kind of made it a goal that October. I was like, I'm going to listen to every record that I've never heard. That's on here. A, because the band might play it and I want to know what they're playing, but also, if this is where their influences are, I've got to dive into this. And that was, you know, the first time I threw that record on, I was like, this doesn't sound like punk music. Cause I've been told punk music is like, I can't believe I'm hearing music. That's not jam band. That's actually being stretched out the way that it is. It was a huge revelation. Well, to- yeah, totally. That, I mean, that's the thing also that I realized when I met Richard, because of course, you know, the, uh, official, press history of television which is not untrue uh, is that you know they were the first you know quote punk band in new york they built the stage literally at cbgb's but um when i met richard i was like this guy is like totally a hippie (laughs) and like kind of like a like a just a curious like uh you know kind of cosmic vision quest guy who's like was not like, hey, man, I know three chords. That's all I need. Right. He was like, I want to know as much as I can possibly know about music and how it works and how the guitar works. And, oh, if if it's, if it's three chords is what this song needs, and that's three, that's, I'll use three right. chords. I won't use more. You know, like I'm trying to get to the essence here. And uh, that was definitely a big, that was a, I mean, it was a huge lesson that I took from him. And I think that that was also, you know, whatever, there's been some, talk lately about this idea of like you know indie jam yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean t- television is arguably the first That's one totally you know very true. uh you know lester lester bangs the the famous you know punk oriented rock critic in the 70s moves to new york in the late 70s from cleveland where he's heard all about this thing happening or punk rock and he sees television and he's like what they sound like the grateful dead <laughs> and he means that dismissively right. you know because he's like i'm like a punk guy and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of true.
uh, started working with Richard Lloyd. At that point, had you read uh, the book Please Kill Me? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, for sure. No, I mean, I, I, I knew what I was walking into, like, uh, All right. mythically, for sure. I mean, I, I, I was a super deep television fan already at that point. Like, I'd probably listened to, the, listened to Marky Moon, you know, uh, as much or more than any other record that I'd ever listened to. Uh, so I was thrilled to have this opportunity to sit down with him, you know? Yeah, the one thing from reading that book, which I didn't realize until I had read it, was when he talks about when I think television, they hear the cars for the first time. They think, oh, yeah. Okay, this is us. <laughs> and he's like, uh-oh, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's like, they kind of look like us. They kind of sing like us. But it's commercial. <laughs> right. But they also kind of sound like Roxy Music or something. Like they have the synthesizers <laughs> and like the pop hooks and uh-oh. Yeah. And they were on the same label. That's the other thing. They were also on Electra, And they were like, uh-oh, these, the, the, the company is going to switch focus. Like they're, they're not going to be interested in us anymore. I which was, is, I was just always amazed by the fact that he... Um, was in on those um, fantastic mid nineties Matthew Sweet records with Robert, oh yeah with, like Robert Quine. So you've got mm-hmm. the guy from television, and then the guy who was in like Lou Reed's band for Blue Mask, and they're doing yeah. this like big star power pop, and it's yeah Matthew Sweet, excellent taste in guitar players, yes. like unbeatable taste in guitar players. <laughs> yeah, and I you know you know who's kind of like you know who's doing that job now is. Uh, Jason Victor from the Dream Syndicate. He 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 uh he plays lead for Matthew Sweet when he tours a lot now. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. I kind of got a lot. When Jason when Jason Sweet. told me that, I was like, damn. <laughs> like ah, thought I might have a shot at that. <laughs> you were um, I think I've read, and I mean, just based upon the fact that it's on uh, that live album that came out in two thousand eight. You're a really big Crazy Horse fan. Mm-hmm. How do you think, how does, um, like, Crazy Horse, how do you think that manifests itself in your work, if it does? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, also huge, huge, huge influence. I mean, massive Neil Young fan, you know, of all of his uh, iterations, you know, like all of his, you know, peaks and valleys. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I I mean, you know, Crazy Horse is also another candidate for original indie jam band, right? I mean, they were sort yeah. of they were hated by Graham Nash and and the the other, you know, rock star pals of Neil because they were too crude. Um, but they, you know, they could really stretch out and go there. And I, you know, the thing about Crazy Horse that I think is fascinating uh is that they just keep getting and Neil Young's playing guitar playing actually in general just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder as he gets older. Like you, you know, like you listen to live rust now and that sounds like, you know, Hank Williams compared to what they've been doing the last, you know, 10 years or something. Um, like, uh, the, the, I saw crazy horse, I guess it was the last time it was on the psychedelic pill tour in Philadelphia. Right. Um, and that was, right. uh, is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. I think it was the album came out in 2012, the tour yeah. was in 2013, right? So it was around there. And that was one of those things where, you know, every time I see Neil Young, you know, you're, you're in a massive, you're in this huge arena. And, um, but like when I went to go get like a beer or something at the concession stand, I just kept running into 
you know, Philadelphia psychedelic musician people. <laughs> so I'm like, if a, if a bomb goes off in this building, like the scene is dead, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, there's Bardo Pond getting a beer. There's, you know, Steve Gunn getting a beer. There's, you know, um, it's funny because I, I went to Bonnaroo in 2003. It was the only time I've been there. And, um, I was just out of high school, drove down with a bunch of friends. And before I left, I mean, I grew, I was born and raised on, or I was raised on Neil Young, Springsteen. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I was 18, 19 years old. I wanted to go and listen to a bunch of uh, jam bands that I don't listen to that much anymore. Um, and my dad was like, before I left, he was like, whatever you do. Don't miss Neil, Neil Young. Young <laughs> yes, he was like, Neil Young and Crazy Horse are headlining one night. He was like, I don't care that they're old. Go and see that show. They are the original jammers. And I was like, I know Neil Young. I know Harvest. I know Harvest Moon. Like, I, I, I love Neil Young, but like, I don't know if I can make it happen. He was like, you have to go. So anyway, long story short, I, I go to the show. None of my friends want to come with me. So I feel kind of like, all right, am I making a mistake here? I go and I get like a fifth row seat at like a massive festival. So like Neil's stage is, you know, so high up in, you know, in front of me but anyway he comes out and he immediately plays a 25 minute version of Love to Burn and I remember just standing there being like hey thank you dad <laughs> like you you finally like proving yourself yeah. again to be like, the coolest guy in the world yes <laughs> and be like holy crap I have to just consume all of this and you know it's it, it is interesting to like listen to his music and listen to you know a lot of what you're hearing right now um, in you know, music like yourself, uh, like Garcia Peoples, music um, uh, like what Riley Walker's doing. It's like this very guitar, weird, experimental, psychedelic, like let's just see where we can take a riff and how far we can twist this. And so much of that is built on the foundation of Neil and Crazy Horse. For sure. Television and, you know, it's, it's a great return. It's a great nod, but it's also like a great... Um, like any any great music it's not an imitation it's a great emulation if nothing else yeah it's you know at that that show at the wells fargo center that we went to see like just a similar anecdote uh uh my wife maria came out to the show we went together and and you know she's heard neil she's like not a devoted neil young fan but she knows the song she hears me listening to it etc you know like i mean neil young is a massive uh you know popular music star so people just know his right. songs but so she's like yeah i like i like those songs let's go check out the show and like if you look at the set list it just looks like a list of his popular songs <laughs> but then if sure. you if you're like i don't know two three songs into it she turns to me and she's like this is what he does you know because <laughs> it's like this you know this like volumatic like waves of sound pouring off the stage at you know twenty thousand people pumping their fists in the air but a lot of it sounded like you know wolf eyes or like a noise show or something like right. just total like music turned into lava and hurled into the audience um there's actually on youtube there's a there's a recording of the encore he did for that at that show which was like a 30 minute version of like a hurricane mm. um which yeah it just you know i i um if i if you held a gun to my head and asked me like what's the most unbelievable concert you've ever seen um i've seen a number but i that would be very very near the top yeah. of that show and I, that's after also having seen him many other times and being blown away but this one was like next level uh you know 
mind annihilation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I say, I mean, this is uh, this Neil Young Crazy Horse show I saw was it's a top five show I'll ever see. I mean, to your point, I'm lo- I just pulled up the set list. You know, Love to Burn, Sedan Delivery, Powderfinger, Hey Hey My My, Cortez, Fucking Up, Like a Hurricane, Be the Pain, Cinnamon Girl, Rockin' the Free World, Roll Another Number, and Down by the River. It's 12 songs. Yeah. Two and, a, two and a half hour every, concert or something like that, you know? Exactly, exactly. Most of the songs everyone knows, but like every one of those songs, I mean, you've got an 11 minute Cortez, of course, that's going to jam 16 minute down by the river, but like Like a Hurricane and Love to Burn it, both are 20 plus minutes and everything else, there's nothing under five minutes on here. Um, the guy just, you know, he, he, he approaches the live show as, as it sounds like, you know, whenever I listen to you in a live setting, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you, you you walk on stage and it's almost this idea that the live element, anything is possible. And we'll see what happens with these songs, you know, based on how we play them right now. Oh, yeah. And, and that, that, I mean, to me, that's 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 kind of like a crucial uh, a crucial aspect of it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm interested in composition or songwriting sure. or, you know, the shaping of things for sure. Uh, but I'm also equally interested in, uh, you know, making something happen in the in the moment. Like that's that's where the real magic happens. Like you know, as opposed totally. to just uh, you know mimicking something that's a fixed experience. Uh, you know, obviously performing and recording are related but different. You know, media. Right. Um, but you know when I when I'm performing I want I I definitely want to try to invent something because you know the best songs to me the best you know songwriting or the best songs sound like they're improvised and the best improvisations sound like they're composed and that's sort of the thing that I'm you know hoping to kind of uh, access
say with regard to what you say, the best improvisations sound composed. To that end, there was a recent Fish concert I saw. This was on December 29th of 2018. The Fish have their big jam song, Tweezer. And in the middle of it, they incorporated an improvisation which sounded uncannily like a classic, uh, like Grateful Dead China Rider transition from, Mm -hmm. say, 1974. I mean, it was... I've seen... God, I think I've seen Fish upwards. I think I'm on like number 79 in terms of shows. And that might have been a top 10 moment for me. And it was so perfect and sounded so great that I could totally see someone thinking that this was completely planned in advance. And I just know it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, that inevitability that, or the implication of inevitability, you know, or the impression of inevitability is like, I mean, that's the magic, right? Like, oh, somehow this all came together. How do you find, you know, you had said earlier in the conversation that the band has been in a little bit of flux and I've got to imagine when you walk on stage and you know that you're going to deliberately play something to almost discover this magic that's unknown to you until it happens. Um, there's got to be a lot of trust that goes within that. And so there's got to be, at least in my mind, a lot of risk involved in doing that with new artists. Do you, do you enjoy that? Do you, do you find it takes some time with uh musicians you haven't played with in some time or do you kind of try to do it as you try to almost like take your music to to that place as a way of like testing each other and testing each other's limits well i think the number one thing uh that i would look for in somebody to play music with is that they would be fearless you know that like so okay it's to me it's not about technique or how you know quote how well you can play or you know, how many chords, you know, or something like that. It's more like, like how game are you? Like how, how ready are you to, you know, uh, you know, jump down the mountain, you know, Richard, Richard Lloyd would, would say to me, um, a thing that he said to me that really stuck with me was that, uh, you know, any creative act, whether it's, you know, writing a song or playing a guitar solo or, uh, you know, a rhythm jam or whatever should feel like um, running down a steep hill and just trying to hoping that you get to the bottom standing up. And like, sometimes you don't, but like <laughs> it becomes this thing where you're not thinking like, I will put my foot here and then I will put my foot there and then I will put my foot here. It's, it just, uh, you know, instinct takes over and, you know, it, hopefully if you've, uh, you know, uh, prepared enough or, really are just kind of like willing to go for it. You know, um, you know, you might get to the bottom standing up, you might fall down, you're going to fall down, but, uh, you know, that's sort of the feeling and, you know, it's, it's, it's extra, uh, cognitive. It's not, you know, it's not a rational experience, (laughs) you know, but you have to, I mean, you have to kind of like put a lot of rational thought into it to prepare yourself for it maybe. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've played music with people who could play notes around me all day who were super boring to play with. And I've played music with people that if you ask them to play a scale, they wouldn't be able to do it. But they were super fun to play with, you know. Right. Well, it's interesting because there was a big review. Um, I mean, kind of tied into this. There was a review in The New York Times during um, uh, the Baker's Dozen when Fish was playing 13 shows at MSG. And the uh, the writer I forget who I forget which uh, critic it was. There was saying that the thing that surprised him the most about Fish was that 
at the root of it, the what their music and their musical highs were not complicated. And that's something that I've always heard Trey talk about is this idea that when you're jamming, when you're in that space of musical improv, um, you're not really trying to play over someone and you're not really, you're, you're just strictly communicating. And that can be a simple melody that drives the music in a certain direction for a number of minutes. Um, it could be something like a wash of sound, like a big noise explosion. It could be a, a number of different things, but you know, it sounds like for you, you know, that magic is in like this kind of unknown of discovery that could happen in a really simple way. But you know, the fact that you got there, you wouldn't have gotten there without the discovery. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, it's like, uh, explaining anything. Some things are very complicated to explain and some things are uh, very simple, more simple to explain. But for me, you know, musically, I want to try to like say whatever I have to say as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, sometimes I have a lot to say, but I still want to say it as efficiently <laughs> as possible. You know, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not, uh, wanting to, you know, carry on for the sake of carrying on. Sure. Um, and you know, but actually perfect example of that is that, you know, that, that show that I played with Garcia peoples at new blue uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, I've known those guys for years. I used to give Tom, uh, the guitar player, one of the guitar players, uh, along with, uh, Danny in Garcia peoples, I used to give him guitar lessons really? and, um, uh, so I've known those guys forever, but we'd never played. And so okay. it was kind of remarkable to me when we did play how much uh, respect and cooperation and space everybody was allowing, as well as also not, um, you know, no, it didn't feel like anybody was holding back. It felt like it was very much a, you know, uh, uh, there was a unity to it. But, um, you know, that's a, that's a thing just like, you know, I mean, it's just like any relationship uh, you know, it, sometimes it's hard to find people that you can really vibe with totally. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, oh, I kind of like this person, but they talk too much or, mm -hmm. you know, or they're, you know, they're whatever. Uh, that was this, that was one of those gigs where it was like, Hey, everybody's like, everybody's like listening. That's the main thing. Listening. It's more, it's less about like what you're saying and more about, are you listening and therefore, you know, uh, accommodating and reacting and, uh, you know, um, contributing, and 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 that was a show where it really that really felt like that was happening. Yeah, you guys weren't the only ones that felt that way. I think uh, that's it's a pretty unanimous feeling upon hearing that set. I remember <laughs> when that popped up. I, I, I mean that along with the um, first night of Riley's uh, residency where he plays with Steve and Steve Gunn and Ryan Jewell. Those two sets of music, I think I've. I'm, I'm petitioning those to be uh, in my top albums of the year because they just I, I listened to them as a record like as a complete piece and it was definitely a lot of space and a lot of listening and a lot of patience um, especially that techno top that started out was unbelievable yeah how much of that work you heard was it, just like a sound check or none of it really literally none of it I mean the the we we hadn't played before the sound check that we had, I mean, Garcia Peoples had like a full sound check because they were doing the first set mm -hmm. and it was their record release show. I mean, you know, they had to get their shit dialed in. Um, there was enough time for like me and Ryan to get up on stage and just play through the chord changes of Cavalry Cross for like 
a minute or two okay and see if everybody could hear each other and then you know the people at the club are like okay well we got to open the doors like it's you know let's wrap it up so <laughs> yeah there was no there was no jamming <laughs> before the show wow so, even, so wow it's incredible to even to have like both drummers on stage with ryan jewel and yes yeah. well that's the thing that that's the thing that that knocked me out because uh you know, a couple of people were like, well, the guitars, you know, all really sounded great together. And it's true. It's hard to get, you know, two or three guitar players. There was three at that show, uh, you know, uh, sharing space. But like, like Ryan and Caesar just, just, just like the hammer came down and they just like totally locked in, I thought, in such a powerful way. And that's, you know, music is the or rhythm is the, you know, the fundamental of, of music for me like if the rhythm's not happening then it's not happening and it was super happening with those two guys there's a part in uh there was a lot of like you i guess like youtube and um insta story footage of that show and there's just one part where ryan looks over at caesar and has this big grin on his face <laughs> and they're just it was uh an awesome look in his face watching that music go that song that whole set's in the play itself. Yeah, it was like that for sure. Um, and even like when we were uh, at the, like we hadn't, you know, we were like, well, what are we going to play? And I suggested Techno Top and they were like, oh, well, we're going to have to learn that song. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's nothing to learn. <laughs> like, like just, you know, Ryan knows the groove. So, you know, listen to it, know the groove uh, or, you know, have a feel for the groove. And then, you know, it's, play in D and if and then there's no wrong notes if you as long as you're doing that and just you know hock it up like play rhythmically um and then but then the funny thing is that when we started playing it I realized that Andy the bass player actually had like learned a few of Peter Curlin's bass lines from that song I was like oh man this is gonna be good because like (laughs) you know he had taken the time to actually even do that but which wouldn't wasn't necessary but it yeah it definitely was a good vibe yeah
Tell us a little bit about uh, Jerry's on Front. Uh, yeah, so Jerry's is this place that um, that uh, I have in Philly here. It's a it's a it's a storefront under the L train, the elevated train uh, in my neighborhood. It's like maybe a five or ten minute walk from my house. Um, you know, on this sort of semi-deserted commercial strip uh, in Philly, of which there are uh, quite a number of them. And um, basically, a, a few years ago, I couldn't find a good place to rehearse. And uh, a lot of the, my friends who are musicians that I was talking to couldn't find a place to rehearse or a satisfactory place to rehearse. Uh, a lot of places where, you know, you could find like a warehouse space or something, but it was not legal or... I had a place that got shut down by the city and then it, it was all this, it was, it didn't feel stable. And, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of these places also, they left it to the tenants themselves to sort mm. of do whatever soundproofing was necessary, which was always inadequate. Um, so like if you're, if you show up at rehearsal and there's like seven metal <laughs> bands practicing around you, you're like, fuck, like, like, like I, you know, like, you can't even talk because everything's just like at all times. Um, so because of the poor soundproofing. So, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, I was like, well, maybe, you know, my wife and I were talking, we're like, well, maybe, maybe we can do this, uh, better. And so we, you know, saved up some money and, uh, did a lot of looking around and found this kind of, dilapidated building that we could afford that was a storefront and uh bought it and put uh six rehearsal studios in it that we kind of built out and soundproofed and it wasn't part of the plan or initially but because the building had a storefront uh we thought well we could just put another studio here uh but you know it's a storefront it's on this kind of commercial strip which historically had been sort of a uh, vibrant place um even though it had kind of fallen on hard times for, for like a visual sense it's literally like the neighborhood where rocky was filmed like uh, the first rocky movie like oh, wow. all those scenes under the train there that's where it is it's it's all within a block or two of that um and so uh you know we thought well if we can figure out a way to make the rehearsal rooms kind of float the building then we can you know we can do some stuff in the storefront it's very small it's maybe like i don't know 300 square feet or something i mean if there's 30 people there it feels like a crowd um but uh you know also there was a lot of when we i've lived in this neighborhood in philadelphia for 10 years and there had been uh quite a few sort of diy spaces art galleries and uh different spaces where like uh, low stakes shows could happen, you know, like a show could happen. And if 20 people came, it felt like a success. Whereas at, you know, one of the more kind of official venues like Johnny Brenda's or something, you know, if 20 people came to a show, that was a disaster. You know, it was not a good vibe. It's like, Oh, this place is empty. Um, so, but, the, but a lot of those smaller places, you know, gradually got kind of priced out or shut down or as gentrification kind of moved in. And so we thought, oh, well, I think we could maybe fill that little place in the musical ecosystem with this. And, uh, you know, that's what we've tried to do. And so we've been doing shows there 
the studios opened in uh, September of 2017, and we had sort of an opening party in October uh, with Sun Watchers and uh, this band Long Hots from Philly, who are really great, and um, uh, Headroom, this band from New Haven, who are also really great. Mm. And then we kind of took a breather for the winter. And then about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, we started doing shows on a more semi-regular basis, like maybe... I mean, it, you know, there's no commercial pressure to do the shows. So it's like when a good show comes along, we do it. And sometimes that means there's, you know, seven mm-hmm. or eight shows in a month. And sometimes that means there's no shows in a month. Sometimes there's two, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's felt like a really good incubator for things and a place where uh, I've discovered a lot of stuff myself, you know, like, um, you know, it just you know, through the network of friends and acquaintances and musicians, people kind of hitting me up for a show and being like, Oh, that stuff sounds good. Let's do that show. And trying to link it up with some good local artists or something like that, uh, to, you know, um, support it. And, um, you know, just watching people kind of go for it in this, you know, small room. I mean, if there's a sellout is like maybe 65 people and that's like, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Okay. We had you know, like Lee Ronaldo came down with Alan Licht and Lauren Connors from New York last weekend and they did a show. And yeah, that was about as crowded as it gets. But at the same time, it's like the show sold out like six weeks ahead of time. I didn't like, wasn't flogging the show <laughs> to promote it. You know what I mean? It was like, Oh, cool. Everybody's coming. <laughs> it's going to be fine. The show happened and everybody had a good time and was thrilled to be there. And Lee was thrilled to be there and Alan and, Lauren too. And, um, uh, you know, it's just like a, hopefully a place where a lot of good, uh, you know, experimentation and, 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 you know, good experiences can happen. I noticed that there's a Ned Collette show coming up, I think. Yes. how did you guys hook up with Ned? I'm curious. And, uh, not again, he's a, he's a perfect example of somebody who I was not like, was not really on my radar. Okay. Uh, but, um, the other act on that night is state champion from Louisville. Do you know those guys? I don't, uh, very cool. They, they, um, uh, one of the guys in that band, um, is kind of the, I think the kind of the spearhead behind a festival that happens down in Louisville called cropped out, um, which they've been doing for, geez, I don't know it seems like five years, but maybe it's 10. I don't, you know, I, <laughs> I can't, I'm not sure for, for certain, but um, just a cool uh, sort of underground uh, spirited festival. And um, so I've been in touch with him and yeah, he just hit me up about the, the two of them are touring together solo. So, you know, perfect example, like, Oh yeah, this is not music that I'm like, uh, it's not on my radar, but like, Oh, I know Ryan, the guy from State Champion, and he sent me this stuff. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, let's do this show. There's like a little chance for discovery there too, and um, you know, that's the way it happens. It's kind of like your podcast, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah, the reason I had um, had brought that up was I used to I used to write for this website back in the mid 2000s called Coke Machine Glow, which uh, I think was defunct as of 2015, and. Like Ned Collette, he's a singer-songwriter from Australia who a lot of us loved. You know, he put out some great records. And I think when he came to Brooklyn in 2008, we went and had dinner, 
had a drink, introduced you to a whole bunch of expats, and then kind of through a lot of like the early 2010s seemed to sort of fall off the face of the earth. And then I think I recently saw that he has an album out on like Feeding Tube and Jeff Conklin was playing one of his songs. I'm like, oh, that's great. Ned's back. Yeah. Uh, This could be complete misinformation, but I'm under the impression that he might live in Berlin now. Okay. Um, Again, don't quote me, but, you know, it's the Internet. I'm spreading rumors. (laughs) But but I I think I I feel like I feel like I I read that somewhere. Okay, definitely an Aussie. But yeah, Berlin would not. Right, right, right. Um, Tell us, uh, you know, obviously you've got your record release show coming out up here, uh, up here on the 29th. Is that correct? Mm hmm. Um, What's kind of the tour off of all time present looking like for you this year? Are you going to be mainly throughout the States? Are you going overseas at all? The tour, that's a, that's a whole can of worms. Um, I mean, there's, there's not a ton. I haven't been touring uh, an awful lot because, uh, you know, I've, there's been challenges with, you know, uh, you know, logistically keeping the band together, but also logistically and financially, you know, touring sustainably. And, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm a gamer, but I'm also like, I don't mean video games. I mean, I'm a gamer. Like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go out and, you know, sweat it out and do some shows. But, um, uh, you know, the, like I also don't want to play shitty shows and I, and I've played, uh, you know, enough shows that I'm like, if I want them to be a certain way. And so I've been trying to figure out a way to deal with, with that. Um, and so my 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 current brainstorm, my current scheme is actually to um, rather than having a band and leaving from Philadelphia in a van and driving around for three or four weeks, and you know during which, of course, there are Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays every week, but there's also you know Mondays and Tuesdays, and you have to be someplace and you have to be playing a show on those Mondays and Tuesdays. Totally. Um, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just set up different bands in different uh, cities or different areas and go to them, play a few shows and come home. So in July, uh, I'm going out to Chicago and uh, I'm going to play three shows out there. Uh, Minneapolis and Chicago are booked. And then on July uh, 11th in Minneapolis and 13th in Chicago, and I think we're going to do the twelfth in either Milwaukee or Madison, and that's going to be a band with uh, Doug McCombs from Tortoise on bass, and um, Arif Sleskatan who plays in one of Doug's bands called Brokeback on drums, and Jamie Fennelly from Mind Over Mirrors on keyboards. So those guys all live in Chicago. So I'm going to fly in, and uh, you know we'll rehearse for a day, do a few shows, and then come home. You said um, that was the second week of July. Yep. And, I uh, might be back in Chicago, and I might try to. Uh, if everything breaks right, I'll try to go to that show in Chicago. Yeah, come down. It's at the Hideout, and um, oh yeah, yeah, it should Great be venue. Should be a good time, and uh, I'm going to do some shows with Garcia Peoples as my band, or Garcia Peoples plus Ryan, maybe uh, Jewel um, as the backing band, both in New York and in Philly. Uh, and then the plan is to actually is to go to Europe in November. Excuse me, but um, you know exactly where or or even who the band is going to be is uh, slightly unclear at this point. 
what is it uh what is your reception like in europe what do you do do you do you enjoy playing over there oh sure yeah, yeah. um it's good it's a totally different experience um yeah. you know i mean there's pluses and minuses uh it's um i mean to play the kind of music that we play over there i feel like sometimes feels a, a bit exotic to people because like uh i mean i'm 46 um but people that are my age or younger over there didn't grow up on rock music. They grew up on mm. techno. Right. right and right. so like, uh, seeing people do, you know, kind of what we do, um, is, yeah, it's very exotic, I think to them and seeing people like bend a note convincingly or, you know, um, I mean, on, on mainland Europe, I mean, England is a different situation, right? but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, I, I love going anywhere and playing for people. And, you know, that's the thing about music is that, you know, you connect with people um, and you have crazy experiences. For the show that's coming up at Rough Trade, I think on April 29th, is that going to be with Garcia Peoples as the backing band? No, that'll be, uh, well, yes and no. That'll be, so we're playing in Philly on the 27th and 28th at Jerry's right. with, um, with Ryan and Peter, Ryan Jewell and Peter Curlin who are the rhythm section from the record uh, minus the keyboardist, Sean Hansen, who lives in Kansas city. And, um, but Garcia peoples is going to open the first show at Jerry's. And uh, I'm sure that jams will be had. And, um, you know, I think also at the, uh, the New York show, I think that those dudes uh, uh, may be present for some of it as well. So, you know, I'm going to, and I uh, I think I'm going to bring Rosalie up from New York who sang, or sings a uh, dream song on the record um, and bring her up from Philly rather. And uh, you know, so she'll, she'll play on that and yeah, hoping to make it like a big, you know, a bunch of different uh, new things happening, but the core is going to be, you know, the trio of me and Ryan and Peter. Nice. And then the other band is uh, it's um, what was it? Trodgrass? Trodgrass. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess technically they're, build billing themselves as trodden um you know that's what they put out a record last year under that name but i mean everybody just calls it trod grass Oxtenar anyway because <laughs> why I don't not? Think they have any, um, i heard that they don't have any founding members like the album from like 1970 that's like the crazy psych jam out in like the woods that everyone listens to all those guys i'm not sure they're in the band anymore i think it's well well, well, it's funny because I actually met Ryan Jewell when we were both opening. This kind of ties together different uh, aspects of our conversation. I met Ryan Jewell at a gig in Paris in 2008 where we were both opening for Trodgras, Oxtenar, which at that, that time was the original or huh. three of the original members and Jakob, the guitar player, who's been there since, I don't know, 1972 or something. I mean, you know, he's like Ron, he's like Ron Wood, like, oh, he's the new guy, but he's been there for like 40 <laughs> years or 45 years. Um, so, um, and yeah, they're just, uh, you know, arguably, I mean, they're, they're such a, such a magic band. And, um, and it's true that um, uh, Bo Anders person who was sort of the, I don't know, kind of the spark of the band from their beginnings. He's, he's older than, um, I think he's, he must be 80 or more. And I think he just can't tour anymore. Um, 
And then the rhythm section, the drummer and, and bassist have both passed away in the last five or six okay. years, I guess. But, um, but Jakob, the guitar player who again has been there and he was on some of the classic, he's on the green album, you know, where they do satisfaction and all on the watchtower. Oh, and, okay. uh, he, yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was there for some of the, you know, early, really great stuff for sure. Um, like, um, something like little feet where there's only one founding member of all the other guys in the band have been there since 72 anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. They're like the they're like the little feet of Sweden. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but uh, but also I think uh, I saw I saw that lineup in Philly, uh, I guess last fall or something, and uh, they were very cool. And the uh, also of note on a more contemporary uh, basis, I guess, is that the. A guitar player from Dungen, uh, which is also kind of like a, is also a Swedish younger psych band. Like they're probably, you know, I don't know, all 40 or something instead of 70 or 75, but um, really good guitar player. And he's in the band. And um, yeah, they definitely carry on the spirit. And, you know, like for those that don't know them, I feel like the, 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 the quick explanation of Trodgrass is like, depending on your point of view, they're either the Velvet Underground of Sweden or the Grateful Dead of Sweden. Like, take your pick. Which which one? Which one do you connect with? Or do you connect with both of them? Even better. But that's. I was gonna say there's a uh, there's a really great recording of theirs on NYC Taper from last fall and at the Music Hall Williamsburg that um, I I'm gonna link to here in the episode because i recommend any of our our listeners to to check it out it's a really fantastic show i think the bottom line is if you find yourself going to that show to see uh to see chris forsyth stay for trigrass because you'll have a hell of a time oh yeah for sure no that's that's going to be a really fun show and it's kind of my ideal thing like oh two band bill that's that's what i like you know like everybody's got enough time to uh, do their thing and you know maybe get settled do their thing not, not, not too much time to break down everything in yeah between it's not a bunch that. of 30 minute sets you know uh, right so
want to thank you for taking the time for talking to us. This has been fantastic. Yeah, man. This has been great. Oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for turning me on to Storage Jam. Oh, yeah. You listened to that. I remember. Uh, I think that's how we got connected. Yeah. I, my, I, had, my, I had my fish awakening on, on Twitter because <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> like, this is the. Th- and then, yeah. Well, all these people are like, oh yeah, this check this out, check that out, check this out. <laughs> have you uh, have you dove deeper since then, or are you just still pick, picking through the pieces of the storage jam? Uh, just picking through the pieces of the storage jam, but cool. but cool. digging it, yeah, yeah. You should you should definitely check out. Uh, from a few years later, they did another late night secret set um, at a similar festival called the Drive In Jam. That uh, is a a bit more melodic than the storage jam, but uh, just as ex- experimental and wild. Cool. I, I had I I have checked out um, some of the versions of uh, rock and roll, the VU song, the Lou Reed oh, yeah. song, and and definitely been convinced. You know, like oh yeah, this is cool. Um, some good. I heard definitely heard some good shit in there. If we could recommend one fish show, we think you would love. It's available on Spotify. This is a show. Um, they did a tour of Japan in two thousand. June fourteenth, two thousand, from Fukuoka. That had okay. some of their most ambient, most excellent, really heady, just improvisations. Where um, that was a live fish release. Like the band knows it was really, really good. I think we actually talked about that show at length back in our episode six. I think we compared aspects of it to like Talk Talk. And I think William Basinski and Tim Hacker. That well, oh, cool. Yeah, that could be a, a very good entryway. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, to me, that's the kind of cool thing about um, uh, people taking chances and people trying to, uh, you know, synthesize influences, you know, like bring things in. Like if you've got big ears as a listener and as a musician and trying to kind of like somehow, you know, find a place for that and find a space for that, which doesn't necessarily fit into... uh, you know the uh conventional categories or slots you know which are out are totally are out there you know um and but you know finding your own slot and you know creating some other maybe creating another a different slot um you know that that's to me that's what's interesting and that's also what i try to do myself you know we definitely hear it and um before we go one thing we love to to hear from some of our guests is what are you listening to in particular? Are there any new records this year that have kind of blown you away that you think are getting a or underappreciated in any way? Or is there anything that you're you're really digging this year, recent or just kind of even even an old old record that you're loving? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, the uh, you know the, the Joshua Abrams stuff, the yeah. Natural Information Society. I mean, to me, that's the coolest band out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just you know can't get enough of them. And Josh, uh, uh, band that's playing at, at Jerry's on um, Friday actually is Charnel Ground. Do you, have you guys uh, checked this out? This is they made a record last year, uh, self-titled record, and the the, the lineup was um, uh, Kid Millions from Oneida, drummer. Okay. Um, James McNew from Yola Tango on bass. And Chris Brokaw, who back in the 90s played in Codeine and Cum, and met, he's played with tons and tons and tons of people. Um, but they made a record that came out last year that 
I feel like flew under a lot of people's radar and I've listened to it as much as I've listened to anything. Super good. And the 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 touring version of the band, I think this is their first their first tour, um, is uh like Doug McCombs is replacing McNew because James, I guess, is, you know, busy with Yola Tango and Yeah. Not looking to do more road work outside of that. So uh so Doug and uh from Tortoise and Brokeback and Kit and Eleventh Dream Day and Kid Millions from Oneida and Chris Brokaw. That's a super cool record. Um, it's Charnel covers Charnel a lot of ground and two very words, right? like Charnel. What's that? That's like two Charnel words. ground. Yeah, the label is One Two X U, uh, and you can you can find it on Bandcamp for sure. Hmm. All right, definitely. Gonna, we're going to link to that. I'm going to check that out here. That's awesome. I yeah, si- side two on that record is. Pew! Yeah, <laughs> super good. It's a one like you know, eighteen, nineteen minute song. It's like, or maybe it's only like sixteen, but it feels like it's twenty. I don't know. It's amazing. I I definitely understand that feeling. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time here, Chris. This has been a total pleasure for us, and um, for anybody listening to this, this is coming out a few days before Chris's record release show. You want to just give the details one more time so that anyone who's who's interested can still try to make it. Yeah, sure. It's uh, Monday, April 29th at Rough Trade in um, Brooklyn. Rough Trade NYC, I guess it's called, in Williamsburg. And uh, it's with my group uh, playing first and then Trod Grassock Stenar playing second. And uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's advanced tickets out there to get, I'm sure. If you you like anything that we've played on this uh, podcast here in the last few months we guarantee you will love this show and if you have not yet bought all time present we encourage every one of our listeners to because it is uh it's very much a top five record for me in 2019 and um just going to keep spinning it throughout the summer it feels like a very good summer driving record like we were saying cool yeah bring on the summer